Let's grab our Bibles. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter number 3 as we're continuing our series in this book of Scripture, and we're calling it Under Pressure. Peter is writing to now a group of Christians that are pulling away from all that they've known in the world, and as a result, they're getting pushed back from all of the different areas of life, all the different areas of the cultures that they live in, from their families, from their friends, from their workplaces. Everything has changed. And Peter's writing to encourage them and to instill in them the truth of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in 1 Peter chapter number 3 this morning, and we're going to begin reading with verse number 1. And if you found your place there and you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, how many of you understand that when you start a sermon out with that, it's going to get interesting, okay? So just buckle up a little bit this morning, and uh, we're going to deal with really some wonderful biblical truths that I think if we will allow our heart to be opened up to, and we'll avail ourselves to be led by the Spirit, God will connect us away from this world exactly where we need to be in His plan and in His will. And so I know that's a tough thing to do. It's, it's tough to, to exercise that spiritual discipline of, of disconnecting from the thought and philosophy of this world and saying, okay, I'm an, open, I'm an open slate, God. I just want to please you. You tell me how my life is supposed to function. You tell me how you've designed me. You show me how I'm to, to function in your will. And so may we have that heart this morning as we go through this particular passage. You notice again, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Let's pray and ask God to help us and His Spirit to guide us to all truth this morning as we uncover this passage of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you speak to every area of our lives you speak to even these areas of relationship that you have designed, that you have intended, and that you have given us calling for. And Lord, we know that the sinful, broken world many times distracts and disconnects from your plans and your intentions. And so this morning, I pray that as your people, we would discover the joy of what it really means to follow your callings in our life. And help us, Lord, in this particular situation with marriage that is extremely under pressure in our culture today, that, Lord, we would value it as you value it, 
and that, Lord, it would be a testimony as you've intended it to be a testimony. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we read this this morning, you might be thinking this is a little out of step with what we've been studying as we go through 1 Peter. You know, so far through 1 Peter, we've come to the understanding that he's writing intentionally to a specific group of people. And this group of people have been referred to as strangers and pilgrims. They've been referred to as scattered. And so we've gotten the understanding and the flavor from Scripture that these are people that are struggling. These are people that are under pressure. And we've come to find that the reason they're under pressure is because they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And now Jesus has begun that transformative work in their life where they no longer are living like the world, acting like the world, talking like the world, in love with the world. They're now in love with Jesus. This world's not their home. They know that they're ambassadors here on earth, and people are now pushing back against them because of their belief. And and they're being pushed back on by their family. They're being pushed back on by their employers. They're being pushed back on by their government. They're being pushed back on by their friends. And in many ways, they're being ostracized from the communities that they've previously been connected to. And we've been learning about that. And we've been learning about what Peter is encouraging us in and how to live through those types of circumstances. But now we come to this passage. And this seems to be about husbands and wives. And it seems to poke at some things that are kind of tender and sensitive in our culture today. And so we might ask ourselves, what is the change of tone? And I would submit to you that there's not really a change of tone here. I believe that Peter is focusing in on this issue of marriage as he's dealing with people that are under pressure for two really significant reasons. The first reason is this. Throughout time and history, marriage has been one of the most predominant institutions that God has ever ordained. In fact, it was the very first human institution that God ordained. You'll remember with me, if you will, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he put Adam to sleep, all right? And as Adam slept, he extracted from Adam one of his ribs, and he made a woman, and he said, this will be a help meet for you. And he brought them together, it says in Scripture, as one flesh, two people becoming one to fulfill the calling of marriage. And I believe this, then throughout all of Scripture, this institution of marriage is used as a primary testimony and example of Christ's love for his church. In fact, scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter number five, that Jesus loved his church, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. By the way, how many of you are glad Jesus loved us so much he died for our sins? And marriage is one of those gleaming testimonies to Christ's love for his church all the way throughout scripture. And so therefore, it is under pressure. It is attacked by Satan. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that marriage is probably one of the most attacked human institution that exists in our culture today. So I believe Peter is writing to help these Christians who are going through all types of pressure in their life so that they can have strong marriages that continue to be a testimony and example of God's grace and love. But then there's also a very practical reason 
why Peter is writing to those who are specifically married. And it's because of this. Just like with every other area or arena of life, as people are getting saved, it's bringing pressure into their relationships. And a marriage was not immune to this. In fact, as the gospel was going out to all of these different regions now, you'd have a married couple who did not know the Lord and perhaps one spouse would come to know the Lord and another spouse would reject the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is writing to wives and to husbands who are in an unequal yoke in marriage, not because they made a choice to enter into an unequal yoke of marriage, but because a spouse has come to the saving knowledge of Christ while the other spouse has rejected the message of the gospel. And how many of you understand it's hard enough in our flesh to operate in a marriage relationship, let alone not be on the same page spiritually? In fact, it's been said concerning marriage, it's been said this. It's been said that marriage is the act of two people becoming one person and the trouble starts when they start to figure out who that one person is. So there's, there's stress and there's pressure and there's friction in a relationship whenever anybody comes together that are distinct personalities, let alone if there's an unequal yoke there. Now, as we go through this this morning, I'm not advertising the potential of us wanting to enter into unequal yokes. In fact, the Bible teaches against that. I want to remind us of that again here in Scripture. Notice with me, if you would, the verses are on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse number 14. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So the specific instruction from Scripture is if you are a saved person, if you love the Lord, if you're born again, don't seek to be married to someone who does not know the Lord. Don't enter into an unequally yoked relationship. And I would say that goes for marriage. That goes for close friendships that would influence your life. You need to make sure that you are having those close, intimate relationships with fellow believers. That is so vitally important. And that's what scripture instructs us toward. But how many of you know life doesn't always work out that way? And whether because of our own sinful decision or whether because of a situation where one spouse comes to know the Lord and another spouse doesn't come to know the Lord, we find that there are unequally yoked relationships that exist in our culture. So what do we do about that? How do we navigate that? How do we get through that friction? Because there's intense friction there. I remember hearing the story about a married couple. They were married a long time. The man's wife passed away and at the end of the graveside service, there was a loud clap of thunder followed by this extremely bright, brilliant bolt of lightning followed by an even more intense, terrifying clap of thunder. A little old man looks up at the minister and says, well, she's there. 
And sometimes that's even the friction we can experience while we're here on earth in those relationships. So how do we navigate that? And how do we do that in the grace of God if there's a situation like this that exists? Well, I believe Peter will help us out with that. And not only is he going to help that relationship, I believe he has help for every marriage relationship. And if you're not married here this morning and you think this message isn't for me, well, one day you may be married. Or maybe if you aren't married, maybe you're part of a community of believers that you want to help encourage those married couples in the Lord. So there's something for you this morning as we dig into Scripture. And the first thing that I want us to see is the calling of a wife. That's what's mentioned here in our passage first, the calling of a wife. And the first thing that I want us to see about the calling of a wife is this issue of submission. And it's a word we hate in our culture today. Nobody wants to submit to anybody. People don't like recognizing authority. People don't like recognizing order. In fact, we live in a day and age where men want to do those things that are right in their own eyes. And so we don't like authority and accountability in our life. And of course, we have movements that go against the creation and callings of God today that really bristle at this idea of a wife being in submission to her husband. But that's the instruction that's given here by the Apostle Peter And I want to define what this submission really is. Before we get so too upset, before we tune out the scripture this morning, I want to define what this submission is. First of all, I want us to see it's a gospel submission. The intent of submission is always to show that God is the one that's in charge in my life. When I yield to government, when I yield to other authority, when I yield to a stop sign or a speed limit, it is a testimony from my life that I believe that God has created things with order and with authority, and I'm in the flow of his authority. And really, when I submit to people or when I submit to authority, I'm showing a submission to God. It's a testimony that should always lead back to God and lead back to his gospel. And that's the intention for these wives here. Now, the intention is not this. The intention isn't to become some sort of slave or maid or someone who's to be abused bossed around, discredited, ill-treated. That's sin. That should never exist in a marriage relationship. That doesn't amplify the relationship between Christ and his church. And so this idea of submission is not just this blind submission. In fact, we're going to see that it's supposed to be in the fear of the Lord. It's not this blind submission where you're somebody's nursemaid, you're discredited, and you're devalued. But it is a submission in connection with the gospel itself. How many of you understand that for the gospel to take place, even Jesus had to practice submission? He had to submit to the will of the Father. He had to submit to the swords of the guards. He had to submit to the stripes of the Romans. He had to submit to the crown being beaten into his brow. He had to submit to the sin being put on his shoulders. He had to submit to the rejection of his father. He had to submit to going down into Sheol and taking those that were captive out of there. He had to submit to every area of the step of the gospel in order to provide for us our salvation. And when we submit, we should not think that we are any less valuable than even Jesus was in that submission. But in our submission, we are actually amplifying the message of the gospel by being obedient to our God. And so let's look at what Peter says about this gospel submission. Notice he says, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And here's the purpose for doing that. So they can see Jesus in you. 
so that even if they aren't in the word of God, even if they won't listen to the message of the gospel, they'll see the message of the gospel played out in your conversation, in your behavior, in your living. That if they won't listen to the word, they can't help but see the word in your life. And that's the reason for submission. You know, the Bible tells us this. Only with pride cometh contention. And in a marriage relationship, it shouldn't be about me getting my way or me getting my way. It should be about God getting his way in both of our lives. Marriage shouldn't be an exercise in changing our spouse to be what we want them to be. Marriage should be an exercise in two people coming together, both of them wanting to be what Christ wants them to be. Marriage shouldn't be about, well, I'm going to change him or I'm going to change her. Marriage should be about, we want God to change both of us to look more like him. And when he becomes the center of our goal in relationship, it cuts out the pride and the strife and the struggle that many times hampers a marriage relationship. And so Peter is saying, hey, you're not to submit as someone without value. You are to submit as someone who's showing the love of the gospel. So it is a gospel submission. Not only is it a gospel submission, but we see it is a spiritual submission. It's a spiritual submission. Notice with me as we continue to read on here, verse number three, who's adorning. Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of the putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So this is what Peter is saying. He's saying in your relationship with your husband, especially if he does not know the Lord as his Savior, you need to be in subjection to him, in gospel submission to him, but you also need to not be a manipulator of him. Don't let your approach to trying to win over your husband be just the plating of your hair and the putting on of gold and the putting on of mascara and the batting of the eyes and doing things to entice him physically so you can get your way. Let your primary means of ministry to your husband be that of a sincere, a meek, a quiet spirit, something that radiates the presence of God in your life so that you're not winning your husband through manipulation. You're winning your husband through truth and you're winning your husband through honor and you're winning your husband through integrity and you're winning your husband through the new creature that's in you, not the made up old creature that's outside of you. And I will attach this little writer onto that. It's okay to dress up every once in a while. But, but, but Peter's saying this. He's saying your outward enticements and your outward manipulation aren't what's going to win your husband. In fact, this is what's going to happen. You might win him for a moment. You might withhold certain things from yourself or put things out there that are enticing about yourself in order to try to sway your husband to make decisions you want him to make. But if he does momentarily make those decisions you want him to make, he will soon flip that decision as soon as he's gratified 
because you've not won his heart, you've just manipulated his flesh. And in fact, what will happen is if you've manipulated your husband into a decision, not only will he not abide by that decision more than likely, but he'll also come away from the whole experience manipulated and bitter and angry from the whole situation. How many of you know it's always better to let God do his work than try to manipulate his work through our flesh? And so the instruction here is, wives, don't be worldly in your ministry to your husbands. Don't use physical or external manipulation to try to coerce him into seeing things your way. You pray for him. You live righteously before him. You be kind and compassionate and affectionate to him. You submit to him as you're able to in the Lord. Coupling that submission with fear of the Lord. So your husband knows the whole reason you're submitting to him is because you love Jesus and Jesus has told you to love him so that one day he may love Jesus as well. So God wants to work through our lives in the ministry of marriage, not to manipulate one another, but to captivate one's heart for the glory of God. So we see here a spiritual submission. Also, we see a practical submission. Notice with me, if you would, as we get into verse number five, for after this manner in old time, I like that, in the old time. How how many of you ever heard of old school before? And this is just proof that sometimes old school is the best school, right? I like that you can look in scripture and the things that were written a long time ago in the Old Testament were written for our example and for our example and that we can still learn from the great truths that never, never disappear with time, but they extend all the way throughout time and history for God's people to connect with. And so we're learning that in old time, you know, back in Abraham and Sarah's day, the women there adorned themselves not just with the outward plating and the gold and the, uh, you know, fleshly embellishments, but they also had this meek spirit of, of subjection to God and to their husbands for the purpose of the gospel. And so this is the practical submission is this word in verse number five of subjection and obedience. Notice with me, verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, now let me just say this. <laughs> Do not go away from this message, husbands, at home to your wives and say, yeah, pastor said you have to call me Lord now. <laughs> That's not going to work out well for you or me, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. But this is simply a recognition of the designation of leadership and order. And I, and I want to say this. Leadership and order are vertical, not lateral. Leadership and order are vertical and not lateral. And what I mean by that is the order that God has established is meant ultimately to follow and obey him. And every segment of authority in that vertical chain of order are established by God to help us follow God. The leadership that's put in our life, our husbands, pastors, teachers, moms, whatever leadership position you're in, You're in that position to help bring people to follow the Lord. And where leadership steps out of bounds, away from following the Lord, we don't follow them away from the Lord. We continue vertical leadership to follow the Lord. Where a husband steps out of line. Yes, we are in subjection and we are loving where we can be. But, you know, if the husband says... You can't go to church. You can't read your Bible. You have to commit this sin. You have to be part of this sinful activity. 
You don't follow that. You follow God. The Bible still says this. How many of you understand? It's better to obey God than men. But where God has placed that authority in our life and where that authority is bringing us in the direction of God, we are to follow in line, in order with that authority. And the practical submission here is, is that if my husband is following the Lord and leading our family in the Lord and, 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 and cherishing our family, I need to follow him and I need to submit to him and I need to practically obey him. So this is the instruction that we have from scripture. This is the calling of the wives. And what I like about this is Abraham was not a perfect leader. How many of you know that Abraham made mistakes? Abraham sinned. And yet what was accounted here was Sarah's faithfulness to be in a spirit of meekness and obedience and calmness to trust God even more than she trusted her spouse. And I'll tell you, in my own personal leadership, I'm a human being. I've, I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've not always made the best decisions. But I've watched as my wife has had a right spirit. And she hasn't always agreed with me when I've made dumb decisions. But I've watched her have a meek spirit that ministered to my heart, that brought me to a place of apology and repentance to God and to her. And God has blessed her immensely for that in ministering to me as her husband and ministering out the grace of God through her life. And wives, I just want to say this. Leadership isn't easy on any level. And so do your best to be a blessing to your husband, even as he makes very difficult decisions for your family pertaining to the spiritual leadership of your home. Pray for him. Let him know that you're for him. Let him know that you desire for God's blessing on his life. And when he does sin, when he does make a mistake, when he does fail, don't use that as an opportunity to usurp his leadership in the home. Use it as an opportunity to help him to see how he can continue to lead better moving forward. Be a support to him. Be on his team as he should, as we'll learn here in a moment, also be on your team. And we're going to look now at the calling of a husband. We looked at the calling of a wife. Let's look at the calling of a husband. This is demonstrated to us here in verse number seven. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So do we learn here about the calling of a husband? We learn, first of all, that he is called to love his wife. That's what's on display here. And this is submission. It's just a different form of submission, where the submission of a wife is to follow the designated leadership of her husband. The submission of a husband is to sacrificially love his wife. And by the way, let me just give you a clue, husbands. Your wife won't have any trouble following your leadership if she feels intensely loved by you. If she feels sacrificially loved by you. Can I get one amen this morning? Help me out here a little bit. My goodness. How many of you wives want, how many of you wives want your husbands to love you? All right. Amen, pastor. All right, good. Husbands love your wives. Why? Because that is a form of submission that is sacrificial to them. The giving up of your own self for the betterment of your wife. In fact, this is the demonstration that we have of Jesus for his church. We've already quoted the verse. Jesus loved the church 
and he gave himself for it. He sacrificed his own life out of love for the church. And that is the position and calling that the husband has in his home as well. But we see some specific things about this love. How many of you know it's easy to say, I love you, but not demonstrate it practically? So here's what Peter says this love actually looks like. First of all, it's an informed love. It is an informed love. Notice with me verse number seven. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. Get to know them. Not just a generic knowledge of them. Yeah, she likes food, so I'll get her some food. She likes a house to live in and to be comfortable, so I'll, I'll get her in a, a house and buy her a chair. You know. She likes air to breathe, so I'll make sure we can make it hot and we can make it cold. All right. I love her. Well, yeah, we can apply general knowledge of love to the general needs that everybody has, but the calling that a husband has to love his wife is to really dwell with them according to knowledge, to get to know them, to dive into their life, to care about their, their, their hopes and their dreams and how God is speaking to their heart and how God is developing them and, 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 and listening to their needs and knowing their vulnerabilities and helping with their struggles and listening to what they have to say. That's so important because that's how we get to know people. And so our calling as husbands is to dwell with our wives, to love them in an informed way. Know them. You can't truly say you love your wife if you don't know anything about them. If you don't really know what makes them tick, if you don't really know how God's designed them, if you don't really know what passions God has given them. And many times we find that people just kind of do life together. They don't really get to know one another. And that's just so important in that marriage relationship. So husbands, you're to love your wives with an informed love. Get to know them. Husbands, you're to love your wives with a cherishing love. With a cherishing love. Notice with me here, verse number 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Notice this, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And boy, we bristle at that and we think, boy, that's harsh language. In our culture today, that sounds demeaning. What does he mean? That the wife is a weaker vessel. Well, I want us to not just jump to that part of the passage of Scripture. I want us to see that ahead of that, it shows that the wife is in a position where she is to receive honor. And that's attached to this understanding of being a weaker vessel. And this is something that I will never shy away from. I believe that God has created people with diversity. He's created the human race, male and female. There are two genders and they're different. They're different. Men are different than women. They just are. And they're designed to be differently. So that we can enjoy the calling of a husband and wife as a man and woman comes together to complete that help meet that God has created and intended. And so there's a difference there. And I'm so sick of living in a culture that proclaims they're diverse and then hates diversity. They ignore the real diversity that exists, like men and women. And then they make up different forms of diversity, stuff that doesn't even exist, mythical creatures they're pulling out of the air. 
No, the real diversity God has created is he's created us men and women and we're different and we have different needs and we operate differently and we think differently. We're different. And I am so glad. And all the husbands said, amen. And it's a blessing. And it's that way on purpose. And we're to celebrate it. But we live in a world that doesn't celebrate it. We live in a world that condemns it. And so we bristle at thoughts like this, that the wife is to be honored and she is the weaker vessel. I'm going to say the wife is the weaker vessel. The wife was created on purpose by God with certain delicacies in them to refine them, to put them in a place that's special, to put them in a place that's honored, to put them in a place that's different from men. And you wouldn't know that in our culture today because we want men to look like women and women to look like men and everybody to be equal and nobody to have different talents, skills, or abilities, no one to be geared differently for different things. We want everybody to be equal. And I'm like, where's the diversity in that? And this thing between men and women, this is not something that's derogatory. Women are able to connect with things that men aren't able to connect with if they'll live in their created role of being a woman. And men will be able to connect with things women will never be able to connect with if they will operate within their created role as being men. And when those two things come together, it is a beautiful thing that completes the whole and is a wonderful testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says women are a weaker vessel, it's speaking to that delicacy that that God has fashioned in women, a nurturing, a loving spirit, something that is similar to what God can do through his spirit in men, but, but uniquely different at the same time and needed and, and, and when applied very fruitful to the family, to the home, to the community, to culture. And we've robbed our culture of these distinctions and these differences to our own demise. And you might even say, Pastor, hey, I know some women that aren't very delicate. I know some women that can beat me in an arm wrestling match. And to that I say, don't arm wrestle them. I, I believe this. I believe that we can, in our own rebellious spirit, try to become anything that our heart wants us to be. And we're, we're showing that in our culture. But when we do that, when we step out of how God has created us to try to be something that we weren't created to be, we may become that thing to a certain degree, but we do so at the expense of being all that we can be that God has created us to be. And when people move themselves out of this position of being this, this weaker, so to speak, vessel, this more delicate vessel, and try to accomplish all of the things that they're pressured to accomplish by our culture, and many times is a distraction and is a detriment to homes, to communities, to lives, to identity. And our, our culture is lacking any real leadership of identity today in it as a result. So there's to be a cherishing love as the wife is a weaker vessel, so the husband is to honor her and to cherish her. This is given to us in Ephesians chapter number five. The Bible tells us that as a husband loveth himself, he is to love his wife and cherish her. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. 
How many of you know that men are pretty good at loving themselves? In fact, there was an older couple, and they were celebrating their 60th anniversary. And somebody came up to the husband and asked him, how has this marriage lasted this long? What have you done in order to be married for 60 years? And the man replied, it's pretty easy. She loves me and I love me. (laughs) Works out pretty good. And in man's natural heart, we have no problem loving ourselves, but the calling of a husband is to cherish his wife, to love his wife even as he does his own body, to nourish it and cherish it. So this love that a man is called to is an informed love. It's a cherishing love. And lastly, it's an enriching love. Notice how God brings this all together here at the end of verse number 7. Notice, the Bible says, and as being heirs together of the grace of God. You see, there's not supposed to be a division. The differences of how we're created and the differences of our makeup are not to cause strife and contention and competition. It's meant to complete us together as a unit, as a team, as one, pursuing the grace of God in our life and being a testimony to his goodness and to his salvation and to his gospel as a husband and wife come together in unity. In the truth of God, it puts on display the grace of God to which both the husband and wife are heirs. By the way, how many of you are glad that when the husband and the wife get to heaven, one isn't going to be treated with more grace or respect or privilege than the other, but we're all on the same team. We're all one. God has brought us together as one. And we are both heirs together of the grace of God. And then it says this, that your prayers be not hindered. I think that a lot of the reason why we lack power with God in our churches, in our community, in our cultures today is because we have many times in the home a lot of strife, a lot of competition, a lot of friction, a lot of pressure that's displacing this wonderful relationship that God has brought together in your home to amplify the gospel, to amplify his love, to amplify his grace. And because of the contention and because of the pride and because of the pressure of this world, that fractures and we're not getting our prayers answered. We're praying for our children and it's hitting the roof and bouncing down because we can't get together on the same page. We're praying for our church and it's hitting the ceiling and bouncing back because we can't get together on the same page. We're wanting to advance for the cause of Christ and lift up our supplications to him and he will not hear our prayers if we're not right with each other. So this is so important in our relationship, in our church, in our culture that we understand the calling of a husband, that we understand the calling of a wife. You see, we are clashing, but we are called. And even if there's friction, we can obey the calling of God and see his wonderful fruit in our relationships.